Peter de Graaf is RNZ's reporter in Northland, based in Kitty Kitty. Morena, Peter. Sorry, Catherine. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, look, another ex-cyclone, I think it was this time, battering uh, the northern and eastern regions of Aotearoa, New Zealand. What's the situation in your part of the Motu? Indeed. Well, that's the downside of being the closest part of New Zealand to the tropics, that we get hit first. Um, But we got off pretty lightly this time. And just in the last 10 minutes or so, I can see a bit of blue sky peeking through. So that's a good sign. Um, Yeah, it seems poor old Coromandel and Tairawhiti are copping the worst again. We did get a lot of rain, though. So Kaikoha recorded 138 millimetres in that first 24 hours from Sunday morning. And the famously wet Puhi Puhi, which is just north of Whangarei. They got the rain a bit later, but they got even more, 150 millimetres in 24 hours. So as you'd expect from that, plenty of surface flooding, but surprisingly few road closures this time. Um, what did the damage was the wind. So we had some gusts of up to 140 kilometres per hour. That's enough to bring down trees all over the place onto power lines. So on Sunday night, more than 6,000 households around Northland were without power, and more than 1,000 of those were in the worst affected area, and that was around Russell and Rafferty. Now, I can testify to that wind strength personally because I'm still looking for some of my outdoor furniture. So if you live in the greater Kitty Kitty area and you find a chair, it's probably mine. <laughs> um, as of this morning, so there's still 70 homes in the far north without power, and that'll be fixed today with any luck. You had a so there is big a rescue as well, didn't you? You had a yacht rescue. I know there's yes. been more than one in this storm. Yep, yep. The most dramatic one was a French yachtsman. That was on Sunday morning, and he was about 25 nautical miles off North Cape when he started taking on water. So yeah, all very dramatic. He was plucked off his yacht by the Northland Rescue Helicopter. Um, amazing, amazing job. Very difficult conditions, but they winched him up. And his yacht is, well, either still adrift up there somewhere or now on the bottom. So there is a silver lining to all this, especially for farmers and growers up here, because they've been staring down the barrel of what's predicted to be a very dry summer. But now uh, groundwater and the dams will all be nicely topped up. Yeah, dry summer ahead, uh, it is expected. Peter, it was just awful, uh, just as, as bad as it gets reading and hearing about this fatal attack on uh, a fatal dog attack on, on a woman in Moira and Moira, we beg your pardon. And, and where are things at now with the consequences and the, you know, community kind of shockwaves and, and also what's happened about trying to prevent this in the future? Yeah, that was a terrible story. So that was the death of 78-year-old Elizabeth Whitaker. So everyone there in Moira knew her as Auntie Effie or even just Ma because she was a real mother figure in that town, always helping out in the marae, always cooking, always making sure people were fed and looked after. So her death like really sent shockwaves through that town you know, and through the wider far north. And what it's also done is it sparked calls again for a clampdown on roaming and dangerous dogs, including from a survivor of a dog attack but further north up in Awanui. So I had a chat to him a couple of days ago. Chris Radich is his name, 77. So that's about the same age as Auntie Effie. He was out walking his dog a year ago when he got attacked by a dog that got off his leash. Now, Mr. Radich, poor old fella, says he just about bled to death there on the footpath and he still has trouble walking. Still got a bandaged leg and now he's organising a petition. So he's calling for a tougher line on irresponsible dog owners. So he says the dog owner 
or the owner of the dog that attacked him was never prosecuted. And incidentally, nor was the owner of the dogs that killed Pangaroo Man, Neville Thompson, last year. You'll probably remember that was another horror, horrible event. And so the, as well as that, the hey, legacy oh, of this sorry. is so long lasting. Uh, is, there, is there a reason for non-prosecution in, in all of these cases? Are the dogs necessarily A, owned by someone and B, registered? Indeed, so it's it's hard to get to the bottom of why there aren't always prosecutions in these cases. Um, these these fatal attacks, those are dogs that generally have killed their own owners or you know someone on the property. There is a huge number of unregistered dogs in the district, so. I was just curious to know what the numbers were. So I asked the final district council for some statistics and that showed me that there's been a 50% increase in dog attacks since 2019. Goodness. And also just a, yeah, you're crazy, eh? And also a huge jump in the number of dogs in the district just in the past year. So currently there's 12,200 dogs in the district and that compares to just under 11,000 one year earlier. And I should say that's just the number of known dogs, right? Now, who knows how many more there are. And in that same period, that's just the past year, the number of unregistered dogs jumped from more than 2,500 to just under 3,600. What are now, the rules fair, around the unregistered council... dogs? What are the rules around them? What happens to them? So generally they are visited by a dog ranger and they are... The first line is that they are, the dog rangers try to persuade them to register them and pay, and if they don't do that, then there is an infringement. So how many of those are actually paid, I'm not too sure. Um, to be fair, the council says like part of the reason for that big jump in the number of unregistered dogs is because dog rangers have been out actively looking for them, and it's one of those things, you know, the more you look, the more you find. Any particular breeds... In, in focus here, it can sometimes be a red herring, but uh, is it is it relevant at all? Potentially, yes. It's there's always a couple of breeds that get the blame, right? And so we have an ex ambulance officer. He made a presentation to the council just last week. Um, he's used to be called out quite frequently when he was working for St John to patch up people in dog attacks, and he's had a few very horrific cases a child whose um, face was terribly mauled. So he is calling for a sinking lid on these particular breeds that are overrepresented. And so that would mean that if you have one of these dogs that's on the list, you'd be allowed to keep it. But once that dies, you can't replace it with the same breed. Now, of course, that's controversial. And there are also plenty of people who say those kind of breeds, specific rules just don't work. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, uh, it r remains um, a, a major concern. I know there's uh, someone else, I think, we may have mentioned a woman who had a leg amputated after attack by her own dog, which just goes to show how complicated it can be. Now, this is not a new issue in Northland, and it seems to move around the district uh, sometimes as a ban is brought in somewhere. The, the hoons on dunes move somewhere else. And what are we talking about here? In a situation where vehicles are often allowed to drive on the beach, they are not supposed to be up on sand dunes, yeah? Indeed, yes, hoons on dunes. Yeah, just like the dogs, it's not a new thing. 
but it does seem to be growing again. And so there's a couple of factors behind this. So more people are buying four-wheel drives, you know, they're more available. But as you say, some popular off-roading areas, so especially around Auckland, are being closed or restricted. So I would think of Murdiwai as a classic example. So more and more four-wheel drive enthusiasts are, you know, turning their attention to Northland because you know, it's got these huge, big, long beaches. Now, I should say that it's only a subset of off-roaders causing the problems, but it is is becoming a real concern on Rupero Beach. That's on the west coast, south of Dargaville. And the claim to fame there of Rupero Beach is that it's the longest drivable beach in New Zealand, 107 kilometres. Um, so the locals there are worried about safety, and they point out that one young beach co has died already after being hit by a motorbike. And there's also worries about erosion of dunes, of course, and the effect on protected wildlife like toheroa, dotterals. So where that's got to now... The Kaipara District Council has set up a working group to look for solutions. And during Labor Weekend, council and staff, council staff and volunteers, they stopped all the vehicles entering the beach and just gave them a wee reminder of the rules while handing out free sausages. Because, you know, if you're going to get a lecture, it always goes down better if it comes with free sausages, all right. Now, there's a similar issue, which is just rearing its head now on the Kadikadi Peninsula. And that's pretty much the opposite end of Northland, right up in the far north. And what's brought it into focus there is an occupation by local hapu of part of the foreshore. And they say a landowner there was planning to bulldoze some access roads through the dunes. I should say the dunes are on private land, so he's within his legal rights. But the hapu say their ancestors are buried in the dunes and they've applied for wahitapu status and that's pending. Anyway, that occupation and the negotiations are still going on but really highlighted some wider problems on the peninsula and Catherine I don't know if you've ever been to the Karikari Peninsula for a holiday absolutely no, isn't it that is disgraceful stunning yeah <laughs> yeah well no there's plenty of time but um it is just stunning it's amazing I probably shouldn't say that on the radio because everyone will be come. overrun right mm. they may yeah anyway it's a popular holiday spot it's also becoming increasingly popular with off-roaders. Again, it's got lots of dunes, lots of you know big, expansive, beautiful beaches. But this is a real concern to the local hapu because they say people driving on the dunes are accelerating erosion. They're exposing koiwi, which is you know, ancient skeletal remains, and threatening wildlife. And maybe even worse from the hapu perspective, they say people have been hooning up and down the sacred maunga, te puo te feki. So I... I Popped up there last week, had a chat with Harpu, and they had a pretty simple message, and that is that hoons are not welcome. And one iwi ranger put it very bluntly. She said, go play somewhere else. So yeah, my prediction is that is going to be one of the big issues of the summer, yeah. I think. It can be so distressing for people doing so much to restore those dunes. The age-old question of the vehicles on the beaches too, I know it can affect some of the um, shellfish, precious uh, shellfish, the toyroa, it's probably played a big part on their demise. Uh, it's just, yeah, some people just don't see it or get it, do they? And um, then the question is what you do. Now, kitten yoga, please explain. Yes, another animal story. This is a much happier one, luckily. So this is an initiative by a yoga instructor. She's based near Paihia in the Bay of Islands. And yep, kitten yoga is exactly what its name suggests. So it's yoga, but you share the studio with a whole bunch of kittens. So I went along to have a look on Saturday, and I found nine people doing yoga and 13 kittens, all about three weeks old, um, yep, running around, cavorting, doing kitten things. So it is yoga, 
but you know, it's not quite a normal yoga session because it's you get a bit distracted by kittens scampering around you. Um, kittens were climbing in people's clothing. And if a kitten decides, you know, it likes the look of you and decides to take a nap of you, nap on you while you're in a pose, you just have to hold that pose until the kitten's had it sleep. And the purpose of this, so presumably the kittens aren't doing downward dog. Sorry about that. Um, so what no, is the purpose no, of no, it? No, you had to get that one in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah well, look, you'd, you'd think maybe it's a gimmick, right, to get people in the door, but it's not. And there are a whole bunch of serious reasons behind it. So the instructor... Francie Long. So she's her day job is at the hospital in Kaukaua. Uh, but she's also a volunteer with Coast to Coast Cat Rescue. And that's a charity that's forever trying to rehome kittens. And this is a real problem in the far north because, as you can imagine, it, the climate's warm. So the kitten season is almost year round. So we're just constantly inundated with kittens. So the idea is that people come along to the session, they do some yoga, they fall in love with the kitten, and then they adopt the kitty and take it home. It's also a fundraiser because the participants pay a koha that goes to the cat charity. And also really important is it's a socialization thing for the kittens because many of these start life as strays. So, then, you know, they're not that well adapted to humans initially. But these yoga sessions give them a chance to interact with people and other kittens like in a really relaxed and kind of calm yeah. And setting. doing what kittens do naturally, which is having a good stretch. They're actually quite good at downward dog. It's quite an offensive title for them when you think about it. Thank you, Peter. That's right. Yeah. Peter DeGraff is RNZ's reporter based in Northland.